I really appreciate what Mike was saying about that song, about uh, looking back and seeing how far God has carried you. Um, as he's carried me here Absolutely. and uh, to this point. So mark your calendars. Sunday, December 30th, first Sunday I got to preach to the church. <laughs> Sunday morning, anyway. Um, he's carried me this far, and uh, it's been amazing. And, um, wow. Michelle, I don't know if you knew what I was going to share, or if you had an inkling, but uh, I'm going I'm going to recap the same message I shared on a Sunday night earlier this month. Community 101. Right. Family. Family. As Michelle put it, which the Lord just dropped that on your heart. I'm glad he did because I don't have anything in here about family specifically, but this is all about family. Community, another word for family. Um, wow. So let me ask you a question. Who do you guys look like? Someone said my dad. Did I hear that? <laughs> You know, who do your kids look like? Who do your siblings look like? You know, maybe you, you have your mom's eyes, your dad's nose, maybe his ears, right? Uh, you might resemble your grandparents or another relative. Uh, I told the story last time. I remember my grandma, uh, my grandma Betty, she used to always look at our fingers for some reason. She'd always look at our fingers and she's like, oh, you have your grandpa's fingers or you have my dad's fingers. Like she knew what fingers look like, you know? Um, but what I actually wanted to get into is I was hoping to look a bit deeper inside and who do you look like on the inside? You know, we all, just like we got our DNA from our parents, we all have a blueprint on our inside that was given to us when we were made. So let me ask you again, who do you really look like? You know, in Genesis 3... Oh, there's, who do you look like? Genesis 1, sorry. Genesis 1, 27. It says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So you were created in God's image, right? So just as your parents gave you DNA, you inherited God's design from the beginning. It says here in Genesis. It was his blueprint, his DNA that was stamped on you. So what was that blueprint? What, what is God's image? If we go back and look a verse, God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Who is us? Who, who is God talking to at this point? He says, let us make man. Man wasn't created yet. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Trinity, right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God's talking to the Son, the Holy Spirit, and saying, let us make man in our image. So we have the loving Father. We have Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. We have the Holy Spirit, an empowering spirit. We were made in the image of God. Yes. Elohim, as Eric taught us. What did God say after he created everything? He said... It is good. That's right. It is good. In fact, when he was done, after day seven, he rested, what did he say? It was very good. 
He created everything. It was very good. But I want to read this story a little bit in Genesis 2 when he created man. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you know the story, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will die. But look in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So God just finished creating everything, saying what? It is good. It is good. It is very good. And now he says, it's not good. good. (laughs) Did you ever ask yourself why? Why isn't it good for man to be alone? He needed a woman. (laughs) And he goes on and creates the helpmate, doesn't he? That's right. I didn't want to go quite that far, though, Charlene. (laughs) But that's good. You know, did the Father look over at the Son and the Holy Spirit and say, you know, guys, we're pretty awesome. You know, we created all this, but, you know, we messed up. We didn't quite get it right this time. Do you think that's what he's saying here? He didn't make something right? So why wasn't this good? Incomplete? Incomplete? Maybe, yeah. Let's go back to 126 here. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. In whose likeness? It was the Trinity. But what does that tell us about God? What does that tell us about his aloneness? Was he alone? He wasn't alone, was he? He existed in community. He existed in relationship with others. He was in relationship with the Son. He was in relationship with the Holy Spirit. He made us in that image. So why didn't he say or why did he say it wasn't good for man to be alone? Because it violated who he was. It violated his nature. His nature was community. His nature exists in community relationship. You were not created to be alone. So what does that tell us? That tells us God created man to be in community and relationship with others. So that's the blueprint that was stamped on each of us. That's who you look like when I ask that question. Who do you look like on the inside? This is how you look like on the inside. That is where the longing for relationship comes from because you were stamped with the same likeness and design that God created, that he lived in. That's where the longing comes from. So if God created man to be in relationship, let's just substitute that. You were created to be in relationship with others. Amen. And so that's where I want to focus today, is biblical community. What does the Bible say about community? You know, God exists in community. We talked about that, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And we were created in that na- image and in that nature for the same thing. So let's look where else in the Bible do we see community and relationship expressed. 
So let's just go right to the main guy, Jesus. Was he a community type guy? You know, was he a relational guy? Was he in relationship with others? You know, of course he was. In fact, you know, you could say Jesus had his own small group. You know, he had 12 guys he hung around with a lot. He had his own little small group. You know, I still remember Eric Morgan sharing one Sunday morning or Sunday. I don't remember which one, but he shared it. I know it was him. He made this statement and it just I wrote it down. It's caught me. Jesus was perfect and he still needed 12 others to do God's will. He was perfect and he could not do it alone. You know, God had a plan, didn't he? To spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. It began with a perfect savior and a 12-person small group. (laughs) So I guess when I think about that, you know, some of us who sometimes decide we can do it alone, we have something to think about. Jesus was perfect. Even our perfect savior needed others, needed community, needed relationship with others. And as most of you know, maybe not some of the guests, you know, my wife and I, we lead the small group ministry here, but this is not about small groups. This is just about what the Bible says, you know. I don't want you all going to Russian to sign up to be in a small group (laughs) or be a leader. We need leaders. You can talk to me later if you really want to, but that's not what this is about. You know, my point is that Jesus lived in community. He lived in relationship. And Jesus even had more he had the 12 disciples, but, you know, he was really close to three guys. He had an even deeper relationship than just the 12, you know, Peter, James, and John. Yep. And you can even go so far as to say he probably had a best friend, John. Yep. He said the disciple who Jesus loved. You know, he, he lived, Jesus lived in communion relationship. And why? It was his nature. You know, Colossians 1 tells us Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He demonstrated to us how our lives should be modeled in community. So let's continue looking here for God's nature and community relationship. What about the early church? You know, Jesus was crucified. He was raised from the dead. He ascended to heaven, and then Pentecost happens, right, in Acts beginning of Acts. You know, the, the disciples were waiting in the upper room. Tongues of fire come down. You know, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Peter gives a tremendous sermon, a tremendous altar call. Thousands are saved. And then what happened? Church was dismissed, right? Some people shook hands and said, hey, great sermon, Peter. See you next week. <laughs> Is that how it was? I don't think so. Of course not. We can read what happened in Acts 2. They, being the ones who came to Christ, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the, uh, the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, daily, those who were being saved. You know, as I read this verse, it sounded an awful lot like Jesus' ministry. Devoted to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, miracles, people being added daily as followers. Doesn't it sound a lot like what happened with Jesus? You know? I think the early church modeled themselves after what Jesus showed them. You know, Jesus demonstrated to the 12 disciples life and community and relationship. And now the early church, who was being led by the disciples, is doing exactly what Jesus did with the disciples. I don't think it's a coincidence that they're living this way. Jesus modeled relationship. He modeled community. And so they're doing this too. I think the 12 were obviously impacted by living in community and they exported that to the early church. I don't think they randomly started meeting together. They're like, hey, this is a good idea. Let's start getting together. They're probably like, this is what we did with Jesus. Let's do it. You know, I think what's more likely is they shared something in common. You know, people go to a bar because they share something in common with people at the bars. People go to the club or whatever it is because they share something in common. And the people in the early church, they got together because they shared something in common, and that was Jesus and salvation. You know, like-minded people gravitate towards themselves. And the early church was united in that truth of the resurrection. And just to reiterate, what were the results of living in that community and relationship? It was this. Unity. The awe of God, miracles, needs being met, praising God, favor, salvations, daily salvations, not once a week after a great Sunday sermon. The early church did life together. It didn't revolve around a week of weekend event. It didn't revolve around Sunday. It revolved around the resurrection daily. So I think we can agree, we were created for relational community, and Jesus demonstrated it, and the early church modeled it for us. But what I really want to hit home with is this. Let's focus it back on ourselves. What part of the community of believers are you? Are you even in this community? of believers as described in what the Bible shares. I'm not talking about church membership. I'm not asking you to stand up and be counted if you're saved. I'm asking, are you living in community? Are you sharing your life with others? Just as the early church and Jesus demonstrated, they were involved in relationship with each other and lived in community with believers and unbelievers. Yep. 
They didn't seclude themselves or isolate themselves from the world. They didn't just come within these four walls and do their Sunday thing. They were involved with each other outside of these four walls with other believers. But did you know that not only were you stamped with community by the nature of God, you are necessary as well. You know, I shared that Jesus needed 12 others. Those 12 others were necessary. When Jesus prayed to the Father in John, I don't have it in here again. I think I mentioned the same thing last time. You know, he told the Father, I completed that which you have called me to do. John 17. Thanks, Alger. He said, I completed that which you called me to do. Did you ever really think about that? He's telling God, I completed what you called me to do, and he hadn't even been crucified yet. What was it that God had called him to do? God had called him to raise up 12 men to spread the word. He needed others. God had a mission, and it involved others. God has a mission that involves you. So you're necessary. Let's go to Romans 12. It says this. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to one another. To each other is what it says there. One of the revelations that this is from Paul. Paul wrote this letter to the Romans. One of the revelations that Paul gave the church was this fact that you and me and all believers are part of the body of Christ. He uses this metaphor of the human body. Paul says, we belong to each other. What does that mean? How does... Kate belong to Abraham? Or Sean, how do you belong to me? How do I belong to Dalton? How? Family. Exactly. How do we belong to each other? We don't think of it that way, do we? Very often. That I belong to you, or you belong to somebody else, or we're part of a body, you know? You know, Paul goes on to expand on this in another uh, book and chapter, the letter to first, the Corinthians, the first Corinthians here, 12. This is a really common, uh, it's been shared a lot, at least I've heard it a lot. 1 Corinthians 12, it's, it's long. I'll read through it all here. The human body has many parts, and the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I'm not a hand, That doesn't make any less part of a body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of this body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? 
If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would you smell? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Wow, read that again. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. Is that all of it? Nope. So God has put the body together, such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of us together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Wow, that is a lot. Let's try to unpack that. (laughs) Paul says the human body has many parts, and the many parts make up one whole body. So let's have an anatomy class. When you look at a body, what do you see? Parts. Eyes, ears, noses, legs, head, shoulders, knees, knees and toes, knees and toes. The joke worked the second time too. So the body is made of many parts, inside, outside, some hidden from view, thankfully. But all the parts make up a whole body. Can we say what's the most important part of a body? Is there a most important part? You know, you might say the brain, you might say the heart, but you really can't say that there's a most important part, right? You know, if you were to walk from here to your car with your eyes closed, would you make it? Would it be easy? No. No? You know, your feet, your legs, you know what they need? They need eyes, you know? Have you ever tried holding a glass of water without using your thumbs? You know, I think you'd have a couple clubs or something, right, to to try to, to hold the glass of water. You know, are your thumbs important? They are, right? You know, Paul describes the body, and in that verse he describes some parts of the body rejecting other parts. You know, the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand. You know, I want to be a hand. You know, does that make it not part of the body? No, it's still a foot, right? It's necessary. Or if the ear says, I'm not an eye, I don't want to be part of the body doesn't make it less of a part. You know, can a part of your body exist by itself? Can, a, can an arm exist by itself? 
No. You know, all, everything's important. You know, Paul even says that the weakest or what we seem the least important are actually very important. Some of those parts that we clothe with modesty are very important parts. Some of those in our body that we might see as the weak part. You might see yourself as a weak part. You are a very important part. Tina's that alarm in our head. Let's us know what, when things are happening. No problem, Tina. Can we cut that out of the podcast? <laughs> so would I be incorrect if I said that body parts work together? I'd be correct in saying that, right? Are they in relationship with each other? Do they exist in community with each other? You know? Of course. You know, every part of your body was perfectly designed, perfectly and deeply related. They work in order. They work together in harmony. You know, when parts of your body don't work in harmony, we call that being sick. So if we carry on with Paul's metaphor here, he says that just as our individual bodies are made up of parts, so is the body of Christ. So what are the parts of the body of Christ? We are, right? You are. If this body is like a physical body, if this body of Christ is like a physical body, are there any more parts important than others? No, absolutely not. And are all parts needed in this body of Christ? They are, aren't they? All needed. Every single one. Every single part. So let me ask you this. If I were to cut off my arm, you know, just cut it off, leave it over there, what would happen to that arm? It would die. Absolutely. You know, my arm can't exist and live on its own without being connected. What about us? Do we really believe that we can cut ourselves off and live on our own apart from this body, from this body of Christ? You know, we can't live on our own, can we, outside, free from relationship. Like, I'm free, I'm getting away from here, but just like cutting off that part of the body, it's going to die out there on its own. You know, over the many years I've read this passage, this 1 Corinthians 12 passage, 
you know, I've, I've grown up in church, and so I, I can't even tell you how many times that this was probably shared in church over, I'll be 40 next year. I'll be, is that you can't believe me or you can't believe? <laughs> so what I was trying to say is I probably have heard it many times, this, this passage. That's what I was trying to say. But I think I've glossed over this fact that we belong to each other. You know, instead, I've always read it, or when I heard it from during a sermon, I've always interpreted it as, we're complementary. You know, you have your gift, I have my gift, and together our gift blossoms, you know? You know, distinct parts complementing each other. When one thing complements another, what's it do? It enhances that other thing, right? So salt enhances french fries. You know, you know, that, that color complements your eyes, you know, that's, that's how I read this complimentary, but I don't think that's what Paul is saying at all. Paul's not saying that at all. Cause you know what? You can eat French fries without salt. <laughs> your eyes are just as beautiful without that color. Paul said we belong to each other. He's stressing that we need each other. So I don't think he's saying we are complementary to one another. I think what he's saying is you are required. You are a necessity. Absolutely. We are necessary to complete this body of Christ. And in God's master plan, he created you. Why? Because he needs you. God needs you. Think about that. God needs you. We don't just need God. He needs you. Jesus needed others. We were created with this DNA, this stamp of community by the very nature of God. And he made you necessary. So perhaps you haven't heard that before. Perhaps you've heard the opposite. But that's not right. Oh, yes, it is. I forgot about that. You are needed and you are necessary. There's probably many of us that have never heard that before. You know, in broken relationships, you probably have heard the opposite. I don't need you. I can do it without you. Just leave. But God is saying you're needed and you're necessary. Say it with me. I am needed. I am, needed. I am necessary. I am needed. I am necessary. Yes. I can't live without you. Well, thank you. <laughs> you can't live without each other. You know, we can't disconnect. We can't live in isolation. We are a body. You are necessary. It does drive you crazy. 
We belong to each other. I need you, you need me, we need each other. But why live in community? What's the purpose? Paul points it out in verse 25 of that. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. The purpose is harmony. The result of harmony is care for each other. Do you care about others in the body of Christ? Do we really care and love others in the body of Christ? Of course, we, we do for some people, right? There's some others. Define care. <laughs> you know? I'm just being honest. You know, it's... Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> this message is just as much for me as it is for you. Each and every person in Christ, every part of this body, the entire body of Christ, all believers, is necessary and we need them. But I think this is the trap that we fall into sometimes. We start to believe that that person isn't necessary. They're a little different. Their personalities little grates me a little bit. I don't like the way they act or I don't like what they do with this. You know, they offended me. They hurt me. And so we start to focus on ourselves and what that person did to us instead of relationship with that person. In reality, what we're doing is we just start getting out the axe and start dismembering the body of Christ. We just start amputating parts. I don't like that person. <laughs> Cut them off. Go over there. See you later. You know, we do that and we, ex we don't really think about it, but I think we expect them to continue living. Uh, they'll be okay after I just cut them off and... You know, but, you know, like I said, with my arm, I cut my arm off, it's, it's going to die. You know, we just can't start cutting people. You know, we so-called healthy parts just start amputating. Bitterness grows. Grudges yep. take hold. Unforgiveness blossoms. You know, is that what Paul called us to in this? You know, is that the blueprint that God stamped on us? Is that what Jesus modeled? Does the Bible even hint that that's okay? It doesn't. Not even close. Yeah, I mean, and stop and think. In, in that situation, think, like, what can I offer in that situation? You know, in short time, you might need their help. That person you cut off. You might need them. You know, what has God <laughs> gifted that other person with? What part of the body are they that is a necessity to your life? You know, we need each other 
as much as you might think you might not. It is a lie. But I really want you guys to stop and stop and think about this. Who in this body is looking out for you? Who has your back? Who's watching out for you? You know, when you start slipping, and we all slip, we start going down the wrong path, and usually we know we're going down the wrong path. Life starts to get cloudy. Your outlook gets a bit jaded. Who's your lifeline in this body? Who can you call on for some encouragement, for some prayer, direction, support? Who's calling you when they see you slipping? Who, who, do you, who do you give permission to speak into your life? You know, don't think it's Tom and Eric. You know, as great as they are, they are leaders of the church, this house, they're not superheroes. They can't be called on and to swoop in at a moment's notice to come solve your problem. We are a collective body and we need each other. So who has your back in this house? Who, who are you accountable to? You know, I want somebody to be able to say, hey, Jeff, what's going on with this? And I want to be like, honor them and be like, yes, thank you. I was afraid to reach out, you know? You know, it's in relationships that you'll see others as part of the body of Christ. It's in relationships where intimacy grows and it's in relationships that you will have someone looking out for you just as you are looking out for them. But it's in relationship. You know, when you're in relationship with someone, it only takes a, a simple word to let them know you care about them. You know, I shared this story last time. I grew up in church, you know. I, I don't remember never being in church. I always was in church. And, you know, typical, I don't know if I was typical. I don't know. You could ask my brother or my parents if I was typical. But I, I, loved, I loved church as a kid. I, I, I just loved it. You know, there were jokes that I, I was going to grow up to do this. <laughs> <laughs> There were prophecies, probably. Prophecy jokes. Uh, but, you know, I, I think many of you can probably identify with this. As a teenager, your zeal for the Lord kind of slipped away, slips away, and you go off to, I want my friends to like me. I want to fit in. You know, I want to do what my friends are doing, and it's not always what 
what God would want you to do, you know, but, you know, I still go to church, you know. Um, but one Sunday, uh, Pastor Jerry Westerfield, he's been to this church. He was actually our pastor in Salina, Ohio. Um, he was kind of the youth pastor, flip 180 kind of guy at one point, and um, he was looking out for me. And uh, I was on my way out to church one day, and uh, all he did was he grabbed me by the arm and he just said, hey, where's the old Jeff? And that just like crushed me. But you know what? It encouraged me. And that was the moment really where I turned back and began following the Lord with that same zeal again. But you know, it's because he had permission to speak into my life. I was in relationship with him. And you have to be in relationship with someone to allow them to speak into your life. We cannot live disconnected. You know, so how do you really care for someone? How does a word like that influence someone? You know, you have to be in relationship with them. And second, you have to love them. You know, when, when asked what the greatest commandment was, Jesus answered it very, very simply, didn't he? He said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Absolutely. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. You know, I remember th- talking about that verse with someone and the Lord just dropped it in my head. It was like, I was like, love your neighbor. Is, is, does neighbor imply relationship? No? no? I think it does. <laughs> Don't screw up my message here. <laughs> I think it does. I think neighbor implies relationship. Neighbor implies relationship. I believe it does. And if they ask Jesus what the greatest commandment was, and he says, love your neighbor, is Jesus commanding relationship? I think he is. Love your neighbor. Be in relationship and love those around you. I think he's saying we cannot live isolated. You know, if you don't know what to do in a situation, try love. You know, my, fir- my favorite part of 1 Corinthians 13 is verse 8. Love never fails. Never. You don't know what to do? Try loving somebody. It can't fail. It always works. True, genuine love and care for someone does not fail. It can only make a situation better. You know, in Galatians, it says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love. Carry each other's burdens. And in John, it says this, 
By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. You know, we have to love differently than the world loves. We have to love in such a way that it points others to Jesus. How can we love in such an exceptional way that others will take notice and know that we are disciples of Christ? How do you carry a burden for someone if you're not in relationship with them? How do you know if, of somebody's burden if your only contact with them is once a week on a Sunday? And usually it's just for a few minutes, really. Before the service, after the service, maybe at lunch, you know? I'm not going to go into all this, but did you know that there are 94 verses in the New Testament that use the term one another? Essentially 94 verses about how to be in relationship with others. You know, about one-third of those have to do with the church body getting along. Things like tolerating each other, accept each other, bear with one another, don't grumble about each other, don't lie to each other, putting others ahead of yourself. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped a part. Another third have to do with loving each other. And another portion have to do with being humble and deferring to one another, treating others better than yourself. You know, so relationship is important. It's everywhere in the Bible. To say it's what the Bible's about, it's about what? Restoring relationship Absolutely. to God. You know, even, as a, even during worship, I was thinking about this, this thing of we are so focused on this relationship with the Father, with Jesus. But do we really focus on this relationship with others? You know, it's not just about Him. I mean, it is all about Him. But his Bible, the Bible is clear. It's about others as well and being in relationship with others. You know, so how can we put into practice these one another verses if we're not in relationship with each other or when we're in selective relationships with others, you know? You know, this, this verse, I'm reminded, it's usually by the Holy Spirit, what Jesus taught in Luke 6. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And Jesus had this... He could be very blunt sometimes and just lay it on the line, couldn't he? It's easy to love people who love us. It's easy to be nice to somebody who's nice to us. 
This is what Jesus said. If you only love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Big deal. Try loving someone who doesn't love you. I don't know if Jesus would use the phrase stuck on stupid there. (laughs) If you only love those who love you, you're stuck on stupid. If you haven't heard uh, the stuck on, st- I'm not. If you haven't heard the stuck on stupid sermons, go back on our podcast. They're really good. It's about what the Bible says about our behavior and when we can get stuck on stupid. But maybe we're stuck on stupid if we only love those who love us. So in John 17, Jesus prayed this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus' prayer here was that all of us would experience the same kind of meaningful relationship with each other that he existed in with Father and the Son. Not to be alone, but just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus wants us to be in relationship. And what was his purpose? For what purpose did Jesus want this? He says there at the end, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The world will see and believe in Jesus through us living and loving in relationship. You were created in God's image, in his nature, to be in community and relationship with others. And we cannot live life alone. I know I've said it a lot, but I want to stress it. You cannot live life alone. You cannot live life only on Sundays. God created you as a unique, necessary part in this body. And you have something to offer. You're needed. So again, I just want you to consider these questions. What do you have to offer to this body? You have something to offer. You're needed. Who's looking out for you? Who are you looking out for? What part are you in this body? How can you go deeper in relationship? carry out God's plan for his church. Again, Jesus needed others to do the mission that God called him to do. God has a plan for you. Maybe there's someone you can reach out to this week and start a relationship with. You know, how can you start a relationship? Simple things. Have coffee with someone. At the cafe. cafe. (laughs) Good plug, Charlene. (laughs) You know, uh, maybe you got a young family, big family, kind of like me. Invite another family over. Have dinner with them. Start a relationship with somebody. Join a small group. 
Join a connect group. You know, find someone to disciple or disciple someone else. You know, find someone who's a little bit farther ahead of you and say, hey, can you disciple me? You know, that's what I did with uh, when I started first coming to this church. I really kind of fell in love with Tom's personality. Some people have that, find that hard to believe. <laughs> I did. I did. It's like I was looking at myself in the mirror. Um, no, but I did. I just came up to him like, I like you. I like the way you teach. I like, I like the way you model your life. Teach me. So I asked him to disciple me. He discipled me. Do that. Start a relationship with somebody. Youth, you can do that to a flip 180 kid. Disciple them. You're needed too. Soon just the adults. There's no junior parts in the body. Every part is necessary. You know, mentor someone, pour into their life. You know, we're focused on the next generation, right? So new believers, teens, whatever, we all need someone looking out for us. You know, so remember, God create declared this. It is not good for man to be alone. You were created in God's image. You are needed. You are necessary. A necessary part of this body. And you were created to be in community and relationship with others. Yes. Amen. Praise God that he restored relationship with us. He sought relationship. He sought us out. You know, the song we sing, he, he leaves the 99 and goes chases the one right he's created us for relationship let's be in relationship with each other (coughs) so let's just take a moment here let's pray if you want to put some music on you know just allow the holy spirit to remind you of you know where you're at in this body and how how we've treated each other you know maybe you've severed a relationship maybe you've severed part of the body you know Jesus declared he said before you give that sacrifice or that offering to go and restore relationship with the one that you have a problem with you know Father just we just thank you God that Lord, thank you for how you designed us for relationship. Lord, I just pray you bring a revelation, a fresh revelation of family and community in this house, Lord. 
in the body of Christ, Lord. Lord, as Michelle declared, we just, we just pray, Lord, that this year would be a year of revelation for family. Restored, healthy relationship, God. Lord, show us where we can mature in our relationships. Lord, forgive us where we've cut ourselves off, Lord. Lord, just pray for restoration, Lord. We just pray for healing. Lord, we thank you that your grace is enough, Father God, that your grace restores, your grace heals, Lord, that it's not, uh, it's, it's not about effort, it's not about work, Lord, but it's about your grace and empowering us to live as you've modeled to us, Father. Lord, we do thank you that you do carry us, that you do shove us towards that which you've called us to do, God. And we thank you that you don't give up on us. Lord, we thank you that you are vigilant and outrageous in your love for us. Lord, help us to be outrageous in our love for one another. God, you are a good, good Father, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.